Melissa Barnes-Delakia is the current president of the Ben Lapine School Board. She was elected in 2019. She has several years of experience in public schools as a teacher, a principal, an administrator, an advisor to principals and superintendents. This conversation is being recorded on March 30th, 2023. Melissa Barnes-Delakia, welcome to the Radical Songbook. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm pleased to be here. Great. So I appreciate you taking the time. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, I will start with I am also uh, the parent of two kids who have benefited from being in the schools, um, being in the Ben Lapine School District. Um, So I'm always first and foremost a parent. Um, But I have spent my career in education. Um, As you mentioned, I, I started as a teacher and then I actually worked as um, a co-director or co-superintendent building a district that actually closed the achievement gap for students in Oakland. And that was really the experience I wanted to bring to the Ben Lapine Schools Board, uh, how to really create an innovative um, school district that serves all children well. So you've been in office for almost four years now. uh, And... um I guess what I want to ask is how do you feel about your first term on the school board? What what were you able to accomplish that you feel good about? What do you feel um, still needs to be done? Absolutely. Well, first, I had impeccable timing um, <laughs> with the pandemic. It was uh, something we didn't expect, but that we were really well prepared for. And so I think, you know, one of the pieces was simply navigating that. Ben Lapine was really fortunate. We have very strong um, relationships with both of our um, labor associations, and we already had one-to-one technology in our children's hands from third grade up. And so we were able to pivot pretty quickly, which is one of the reasons we had some of the lowest levels of learning loss during the pandemic. Um, In terms of what I wanted or planned to um, work on during my term, I feel really good about that as well. I really came in with a mission around agency, equity, and belonging. And in my term, I've been able to tackle that. I'm a very experienced board member. I reported to a board for 10 years, and I served on boards for 10 years. Uh, and so I started with policy. We, um, I have authored the equity um, uh, resolution for the school district, equity and anti-racism, I led the revision of our policies to have an equity lens, and then collaborated with the superintendent to be able to establish new goals, new actions, and new measures to make sure that we're looking at how our kids are doing in terms of outcomes, but also how they experience our schools. They're with us for 13 years. And then to be able to set specific actions that are going to address the equity gaps that we have for our children, both in terms of outcomes and experiences. Um, we've started that work, and that work will continue um, in the next term. In addition, I led the bond campaign uh, to raise money to do improvements. So this was actually kind of a, a harder sell. It was to really redo Bend High as well as do improvements across the district and was able to successfully pass that bond with, I believe, the highest um, approval margin in Ben Levine history. Um, Finally, I hired a superintendent. I led the superintendent search committee, and Superintendent Cook um, couldn't be a better fit for this district at this time. He's innovative. He believes in distributed leadership and lifting um, the abilities of his team um, and is really committed to doing doing this work and being part of our 
being part of our Bend and Lapine and Sun River communities. So I'm feeling good. I'm not stopping. <laughs> There's a lot more work to do, um, but I think we're headed in the right way and we've got the right initiatives in place to start making some real change. So so what are some of the things that you look forward to working on um, if you're reelected? Sure, absolutely. Oh, so many. <laughs> We're doing some work uh, really starting at the foundation around literacy and math. In our early grades, our teachers are now working on a science of reading-based foundational skills curriculum to really address early reading and make sure that our students are 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 actually learning to read by third grade. Um, we're also looking at our math curriculum and in the upper grades looking at complex pathways that students can take that actually include more application of math so that math makes sense for students um, and it's a much richer experience. Those are the two, you know, two examples in the academic realm. In the social emotional realm, we have a, a new um, director of social emotional learning and we're developing a pathway from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade that supports children in developing their social emotional well-being, positive self-identity, um, and skills such as compassion and collaboration, curiosity. We have a, a new goal around passion, purpose, and plan for their future. No longer do we want kids to leave our school system and figure out on their own what they're going to do next. We are strengthening our CTE pathways. We're working with community partners to do that work so that our, our kids can go straight into the workforce if they want and be able to earn a prevailing wage um, because they've earned the certification of an industry. Um, likewise, um, we have the college track and we have our, our college and career counselors who are supporting kids and making sure they get their FAFSA done and really supporting them and exploring what the right fit college would be for them and that they have the right credits to be able to apply for college. Um, I could go on and on. Those are a few of the areas, um, but I do want to say that overall, the thing that I'm most excited about is really some of our equity work and the work that we're doing to expand our reach um, to the different communities in Ben Lapine. Our, our community is diversifying. Um, we've added family liaisons for, that are specifically focused on our African-American community, for example, and our Asian Pacific Islander community. We've added translation throughout our district, and we're really looking at culturally relevant um, curriculum and pedagogy so that all of our kids and all of our families really feel a sense of belonging in our school system. You're familiar with the work of the Restorative Justice and Equity Group, and, and uh, what role do you see that them playing in, in helping on this? <laughs> I absolutely know them. I've been active with that group and love the work that they're doing um, and really have worked to... Um, elevate that work. Uh, the Restorative Justice and Equity Group is now a formal partner with Ben Lapine Schools. They have an MOU. They have developed a cadre of um, individuals who have been uh, trained in restorative justice practices and are actually assigned to different schools within our district. So when that incident comes or happens that needs a real restorative conversation and the principal doesn't have the time in that moment to do do that work, we have an entire cadre of individuals that are ready and willing to go in. In fact, Cameron Stevenson, who is running for school board, is one of those cadre members and goes and does restorative work at Summit High School. Um, and so we've got that formal partnership. We've also got the town halls that happen for our, 
our students, um, predominantly the students of color, but we also have white allies that attend those town halls, and they just had their town hall last Friday, um, where they bring together those students so they can see each other and discuss their shared experiences in what is still a predominantly white institution at Benla Pine Schools. So what else can the school board do, um, or the district and school staff as well, to, to just kind of generally make students feel safer in schools? Yeah, and that's a tough one because, right, we're talking about physical safety and we're talking about emotional safety. So on the physical safety end, and I know we just had another tragic school shooting, um, our, school, our school district is and continues to be um, focused on student safety. Our 2017 bond and then the bond that we just passed in 2022 both included funding for um, securing our schools and ensuring that we have the latest in um, security measures. And so uh, you'll see that in the secure vestibules, you'll see that in the campus perimeter fencing, and uh, you'll see that with our latest piece, which is really these visible locking mechanisms um, should a, a school need to go into lockdown. Um, in addition to that, we're looking at uh, gun safety. We made a um, pledge to our students that their schools would be a gun-free zone, and with some recent legislation, we were able to extend that um, so that concealed carry also is um, is covered. So guns are not in Ben Pine schools. We feel like that's something that children deserve to have. Um, and then you shifted the, the, the emotional safety. Part of that is our social-emotional learning curriculum that we're building, the pathway from kindergarten through 12th grade that really teaches kids empathy, um, teaches them to celebrate aspects the assets of their peers and the differences that they bring. Um, and then uh, the restorative practices that help kids, when they make mistakes, learn from them. Um, I think that restorative practices, oftentimes people think, oh, it's just soft. You know, there's no consequence. And that's not what it's about. Restorative practices are about having kids feel resolution, feel like this person harmed me. And I'm going to have a conversation with that person. That person's going to actually have to shoulder the burden of figuring out how to fix this. Um, sometimes there are consequences still, like suspension or, um, you know, being out of the school setting for, for a day or two. And that's so that the community can heal from the harm that that individual has done. And that individual can think about how they're going to let the community know that they're trustworthy and that they won't hurt them again. Um, and so, you know, these restorative practices, they don't have, they don't work the magic overnight, but if you're consistent with them, they really build a community that feels much safer um, emotionally and physically for students. So uh, you, you've touched on, in, in a variety of different ways, the whole question of student achievement in the district. Can you, um, can you talk a bit more about that in terms of I don't know, I guess some of the numbers that we've seen in terms of graduation rates and, and, and sure. all of that, just generally achievement. Yeah, graduation rates are, are a tough one, Michael. Um, they're one of the reasons I ran. I couldn't believe that, that one in five students did not graduate high school in our district. Um, during our tenure, we've had two of the highest, we've had the two highest um, graduation rates um, in Ben Lapine history. They're still too low. And so, again, um, I think I would lean into, in that conversation, the piece that I think is going to really support us is our CTE pathway work. Um, if you look at the students in Ben Lapine, 
the students that are involved and engaged in our CTE pathways have the second highest graduation rate of any of the cohorts of students. And so CTE is engaging. It allows students to do application with their learning, and it still allows them, we've, we've made adjustments and we've made changes. There's a pathway now within the CTE program to be able to earn an honors diploma, just like you can by taking AP classes or IB classes. You can take uh, CTE capstone classes and earn an honors diploma. And so CTE is definitely one of the pieces to address the graduation rate. In terms of other pieces, in terms of literacy and math, that shift that we're seeing um, to make sure that at the early at the early levels, our kids have a foundational um, they have foundational literacy and that they're taught with the science of reading. That means phonics, that means phonemic awareness, and making sure that all of our children have that foundation in place. Um, what I saw when I decided to run was that middle school literacy was actually the big, in many ways, the bigger problem because our literacy scores drop um, in the middle school years. Something that the um, middle school and high school teachers have done is really revamp um, the book sets or the literacy sets um, in our middle and high schools uh, so that they include texts that are actually authentic. They're relevant to kids' lives. They're engaging. They're culturally relevant. And so really re-looking at our curriculum to make sure that it matches kids today. Um, we are also looking at uh, the equitable grading policy. Um, this one, again, gets, you know, there's a lot of confusion in our community about this. And what the equitable grading policy is, it's, it's about standards-based and mastery-based grading. It's the only way I've ever graded in my career, so it always <laughs> kind of shocks me when I hear, you know, a lot of resistance to it. But what it means is that you're, you're measuring your kids against the standards and how well they're, you know, how well they've mastered the standards, um, rather than a percentage, a percentage that gets, um, you know, averaged with a zero, um, you know, one missing assignment kind of destroying the average. Um, with mastery-based grading, kids and families know exactly where a kid is in terms of mastering the content of that class. They have the opportunities to, to take a look and see exactly what they need to learn um, to do better in that class. And then they have opportunities for redoing papers or projects or assessments, not to just redo them again, um, exactly like they did the last time, but to redo them to show that they've mastered the material. And so that mastery-based grading is, a, um, is really a cornerstone in our, in our work to improve student outcomes um, for all students. What is the board's relationship? How, how is your relationship with teachers and the teachers' union right now? Yeah, you know, teachers are exhausted. <laughs> Michael, they are absolutely exhausted. They, uh, and this is the case, um, not in the, I would love for us to be immune to this in our community, but it is what is happening across our state. It is what is happening across our nation. And the thing that teachers are reporting the most is that they, post-pandemic, pandemic, are seeing um, drastically increased behaviors um, in the classroom that they don't have the capacity to address. Um, and so then those are, uh, through no fault of their own, but um, are, they can't address them in the moment and it's disrupting learning. Uh, and so our um, our association 
um, has been working with the superintendent, and the superintendent has actually developed a special um, task force to be able to uh, address that. Um, these are tricky things, Michael, um, because the the our, in terms of relationship with the association, we have a strong relationship. The um, vice chair and I meet with uh, the head of BEA and of OSEA on a quarterly basis um, to check in, talk about different needs. Um, but when it comes to things that are um, involved in bargaining, there are some pieces in terms of a board member of what we can and cannot do. And so it's always a trick to navigate that um, in a way that makes sure that the needs of the teachers and the associations and the um, and our staff are being heard and being acted upon, but not um, overstepping our role with a bargaining, uh, a represented body, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about, you know, what the, what teachers have been kind of up against, both uh, coming out of the pandemic, I mean, you're, you're on a school board that faced a lot of that stuff, too, early on in 2020, 2021, um, an aroused constituency, I guess I would say, an aroused public who was really, you know, cha challenging even your ability to um, conduct meetings. It was around a variety of issues. We don't need to get back into all of that, but a lot of it was based on parental rights. What are your thoughts on that, and, and what role do you think parents should play in public education? I'm an educator by trade. I know very well that parents and families, I, I prefer to use the word families because there's a lot of children that are raised um, in extended families. And I believe that families are really the, the third leg of the stool, if you will, um, when it comes to raising um, uh, our children in, in our school system. Um, our families are their first teachers and should be respected that, as that. I get a little concerned because I think during that period of time, there were a lot of words that were used as somewhat of a rallying cry that were disguising what was really at the heart of things. Ben Lapine has the systems and structures in place for, for what um, a lot of this is asking for. Um, we have, um, you know, we have board meetings with public comment already, um, and we have um, board emails that are, are checked regularly and board members that um, agree to meet with people and, and hear their concerns. So, um, you know, that's been, that's been one of the things that um, parental rights groups have been asking for. We already have it. Um, we, whenever we do a curriculum adoption um, in Ben Lapine, we include a, we include a, it's a community effort. And so in our last literacy adoption, for example, it was a team of 35 people. It included teachers, it included community members, but there were 35 people that took two years um, to look at all of the curriculum, to vet them, and then to make a recommendation. And when they did the recommendation, they first put out the top, you know, the finalists for curriculum out to the public. It was um, available online, it was available in, in, in paper, you know, at different locations, and the community was invited to come and review this and give us their feedback. It was uh, voted, you know, it was voted on in public and we had public comment on it. You know, so all of this transparency around curriculum um, and curriculum adoption, it's already in place. 
Furthermore, with our secondary students in Canvas, you know, our teacher curriculum is in place. I know that I can, you know, you can be a Canvas observer. I go in, I have a 13-year-old son in Denver Pine Schools. I can go in and see, see what he's learning, what his course is, you know, what his coursework is like, how he's doing. Um, and so these things that um, are being asked for um, actually are in place. Um, somewhere, you know, there's other things that are being asked for, like, uh, um, you know, uh, shifting from passive consent to active consent, you know, being able to opt out of things. We already allow families and, and notify them very prominently that they can opt out of state testing. I wish they wouldn't, but they can opt out of state testing. We let them know that. Um, they can opt out of any of the health screenings if they want. Um, they already know that. They can opt out of sex education if they want. We notify them, and, and they can. You know, so all of these things are already in place. Um, and so my question would be, when you hear this rallying cry, what's it really about? Um, because the things that I read in things like the Parents' Bill of Rights actually are already in place in Benetton. I always like to ask my guests if there's anything else that I should have asked you that I didn't <laughs> or, and, and or anything that you uh, want to tell our listeners. First and foremost, I would ask listeners, if they have a child in Denver Pine Schools and your child has a teacher, an administrator, uh, a staff member, maybe the bus driver, maybe the custodian, um, maybe the uh, person in nutrition services, bank them. Just bank them. You know, they don't get to hear that a lot, and it has been a trying couple of years. And so just sharing appreciation of, our, of the staff of Denver Pine Schools goes a really long way. I would ask them for their vote. I believe that I went into this work and I said exactly what I would do. I was going to work on agency, um, equity, belonging. I worked on all of those and I said I was going to work on, on making sure we had strong governance and finance. And I went out and led the bond campaign and have led the policy work. Um, so I feel like I've delivered on the, the things that I said I would do and I look forward to continuing that work. I'm all in. Um, so I ask for their vote. I would ask for their support if they are interested in making a contribution to my campaign. I'm uh, available on ActBlue, um, and you just need to look up Melissa Bonstalakia. Um, but really, um, whatever they're going to do, make sure to vote. Um, our special elections don't have enough voters. Please take the time. Look at your voter information template. You've got some really amazing candidates in front of you, and I look forward to the opportunity to work with them. And personally, I am hoping to work with Cameron Stephen, Kimara Chadwick, and Amy Tatum. So in addition to voting, uh, how else can people get involved or get in touch with your campaign? They can uh, email me at melissa at melissaforbenlapine.org. Melissa for Ben Lapine is also my Facebook handle, if you will, uh, where they can see different um, events. Uh, I'll be posting any events that are happening there. Um, we will be doing canvassing so that we can get the word out about myself and other candidates. And, um, and again, information about donating um, or, or other ways of support will all be there as well. Melissa Barnes-Dolakia, thanks so much for joining me here on the Radical Songbook. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Michael, and thanks for putting together this series.